Welcome back to the HSC Network podcast, guys. Today we're joined by Dan Collins, who is a real expert in sort of sleep. And today we're going to be talking about how that fits into health and safety and sort of the well-being aspects around. And so, Dan, thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. Good to be here. Okay, so I guess, Dan, my first question to you is, obviously, you um, it's an area of interest, you say sleep. So what really got you interested in to sleep and um, sort of how it helps physical and maybe mental well-being? Well, it started, I think, way back, I saw a Horizon documentary on BBC about sleep. This was probably 20 or 30 years ago, and it was a reasonably short documentary. Um, but I was quite interested in what they were saying. And at the time, this was long before iPlayer and, and even being able to record things, but they did send me a transcript. If you apply to BBC, they'd send you a transcript of the um, of the show. I remember getting that and reading through it, and it, and it was very interesting. Um, but it, it was quite brief because 20 years ago, very little was known about sleep. Um, and then you know, fast forward to about three or four years ago, I wasn't sleeping so well myself. Um, I think we all have time that we have a sleep this night because we were anxious about something or we're a bit uptight. But I found that night after night, I was waking up about one or two in the morning and finding it hard to get back to sleep. And so I, um, just, I couldn't find the Horizon transcript, but I started researching it again. And it turned out a number of books have been written. And science had really moved on because of something called the fMRI scanning, where we can look at the brain um, while people are asleep and just see what's happening in the brain. It meant that really for the first time, scientists could see what's happening when we sleep and why are we sleeping. Uh, and I found this fascinating um, from a scientific point of view, not that I'm a scientist, but I was interested in this. Um, but also from a personal point of view, I thought, well, if I can understand what's happening when I'm asleep and why I'm waking up in the night, perhaps I can adapt my behaviors so that I sleep better. Um, so um, in learning about it, I mentioned improve my own sleep. It's not perfect. I have good nights and bad nights as we all do, but it's much better. Um, and, and then thought, well, you know, there's a lot of, whilst a lot of this stuff is very scientific, is there a way we can communicate it in a half an hour or so talk with people and then they can apply it to themselves because we spend a third of our lives asleep. So if a third of our life is not healthy, um, then that's going to have an impact on our performance. And that's where my, my day job gets involved is I'm, I'm interested in helping people and businesses perform at their best. And so sleep has to be a, a part of that. Absolutely. And I think um, just to echo it, sort of the stuff we talk about on the HSC network um, and the stuff we learn from health and safety conferences, there's a real people say that there is a case that in health and safety, it's a case of shouting safety, as they call it, and sort of whispering health. It's, you know, what is nice about process, um, risk assessments, all of that sort of stuff. And whilst that is important, um, the health of the individual in the end is also incredibly important. I think sleep obviously links into that in so many different ways, doesn't it? You know, if you have good sleep, it impacts on your mental health, your physical health, you know, your performance in the job. Could you give us maybe a bit more of an insight into what the dangers and negative effects of sleep deprivation might be and on sort of poor quality sleep in the workplace? Yeah, there are a few headlines that will be familiar. So massive disasters like Exxon Valdez oil spill, the Chernobyl nuclear plant, and the Challenger space shuttle. The investigations that followed those found that fatigue um, was a, a, a significant contributing factor. So when things go badly wrong and we take the trouble to research why, often fatigue is a, 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 has a place apart. The Croydon rail crash more recently where the guy uh, rolled a, a tram at... Um, going too fast into a bend um, is thought to be sleep-related as well. Um, 
but that's that gets a lot of publicity because there's massive damage uh, in the US where they investigate the causes of car accidents and fatigue is one of the things that can be uh, identified. Over 20% of car accidents uh, are down to fatigue. In the UK and Europe, we don't look at it in that way. So we don't really consider whether fatigue is part of it. We look at things like drugs and alcohol. Um, but the micro-sleep, where we fall asleep momentarily, um, if that's a second or two seconds at 70 miles down a motorway, that's enough for us to change lane. And if you're driving a 30-tram truck at that point, um, that could well cause problems. And I should imagine most of us, if we've driven on motorways, have had that moment where you see a big truck moving across from the lane to the left and you think, hang on, why is that happening? And it's more than likely that that's, uh, that could be down to a, a micro-sleep. More often than not, they don't lead to catastrophes because they're quite short, but the fact somebody's completely asleep albeit for a very short period of time, is enough to result in a, a crisis. So, um, so so I think a good way to look at it, though, is to compare it to alcohol. Right? So um, some studies were done in Australia where they took some people who were sober and put them in a driving simulator. They put some people who were over the alcohol limit and put them in a driving simulator. And they put some people who had been awake for 19 hours in the same driving simulator. And they found that the impairment was the same for people who had been awake for 19 hours as it was for the uh, people who were over the alcohol limit. So... Not getting enough sleep um, is, is is serious as using alcohol in the workplace. And we wouldn't dream nowadays of allowing people to use alcohol at work. And we, nor should we really be uh, encouraging poor sleep. And I think we'd think, well, we would never encourage people to sleep badly. But in actual fact, if we're asking somebody to get on a flight and go to a different time zone and perform, that's exactly what we're doing. So, um, and or shift work and many other situations where actually sleep is impaired because of the work we do. Um, not to mention all the people who are impacted by the fact that they're just not sleeping very well because they've got young children or you know, a noise going around the, you know, uh, the house, something like that. Uh, absolutely. I think shift work is, you know, that's something we've covered on HSE Network numerous times. It's an area where people often find that they have instances where they are micro-sleeping every now and then. They call it shift worker disorder. Um, and that impacts on, you know, not only their ability to sleep in their own personal well-being, but also their ability to ability to perform safely at work as well um absolutely does um fresh tracks implement any sort of process around helping people with sleep at all that you're aware we um we will have one-to-one conversations with people that are fairly sort of light touch uh, around their sleep so if somebody is struggling with sleep we, we will have a chat with them maybe more than one conversation i think what we're quite clear about is that we're not qualified to cure insomnia um but there are very limited number, but there are some well-known uh, approaches which can lead to that. Um, the predominant one is uh, CBT for insomnia, which is a, a thinking technique which can help people in about 70% of cases overcome chronic insomnia. So these people who are not sleeping for entire nights, night after night, so they're in a, a particularly bad state. And CBT is highly, highly effective there, but it's also very a very challenging approach. So we don't, wouldn't want to get involved in that. But we're really happy to talk to people about how they're sleeping and how performing there's something called the Epworth Sleepiness Test, which um, can be found online, but we can work through that with people. And that just helps people identify how tired they are. And I, th- I think while sleep is, is the headline, tiredness is perhaps a better thing to talk about because some people will feel they're sleeping really well, um, but actually they're feeling really tired the next day. So they can't quite match up. Why am I feeling tired and wanting to snooze every afternoon? I'm thinking, I'm struggling to get up in the morning, I'm going to bed really early. Well, then we get into the quality of sleep. And I think that's quite an interesting area to explore is what is sleep. Um, shall I expand on that a bit now? Yeah, absolutely. Go for it, Dan. 
So sleep is um, is more than one thing. I think we tend to think of sleep as being a single activity when in actual fact there's there's two types of sleep um, and they're completely different um, in terms of what's going on within us physiologically, um, although they look the same. So I think of it a bit like wasps and bees, you know, they're very different creatures, although at first glance they look the same and sleep uh, is a bit like that. So we have REM sleep and non-REM sleep. REM sleep, REM is REM and if you ever watched maybe you've watched your partner sleep, but if you watch a dog, a dog sleep or a, an animal sleep, you sometimes see a flickering eye. And that's when we get into a state of sleep where our body is completely shut down and our brain is being rejuvenated. So in simple terms, that's when our brain sleeps and resets. So much like a computer rebooting, REM sleep is, uh, is that phase of sleep. That's one phase of sleep. The other sleep is uh, non-REM sleep, which is a successive series of, of depths of sleep where our body is rejuvenated. So we almost have a body sleep and a brain sleep um, and as we go through the night we go through a series of 90 minute cycles and those 90 minute cycles start with us getting into a deeper and deeper sleep uh, it's non-REM sleep and then we enter REM sleep when our brain is almost to a point of wakefulness again um, and then we go into the cycles again so so quite often people wake in the night they're simply between cycles they've been through a, um, a period of deep sleep through REM sleep and then they, they their brain waves are, are changing and they get into this wake, almost waking state and then that leads to um, waking up, particularly if your bladder's full or there's some sort of disturbance, we might wake up. And we should just go back to sleep very easily. Sometimes we're not even aware we're awake, we just go into the next cycle. But of course, if we're anxious, um, then those thoughts seem to be magnified at night and we're more likely to wake up and find it hard to go back to sleep. But it's quite a comfort, I think, in some respects, understanding this 90-minute cycle. It's not exactly 90 minutes for everybody, but it's around, around about that. But if you wake up, say you go to bed at 11 o'clock and you wake up at half past 12, then that's great. You've had a cycle, and you've had a, uh, and that's really, that's a good thing to have had. If um, you tend to stay awake for half an hour, but then go back into a series of cycles, then that's you've probably had a, quite a good night's sleep, even though you feel you've been awake during the night. Um, so the sleep cycles are really key, and the fact that we have REM and non-REM sleep, or brain sleep and body sleep. Absolutely, and I suppose with the two different types of sleep, um, it really breaks it down into just you can't just say okay, I've got six hours sleep or six between six and eight hours sleep and that's enough. You need to get the right kind of sleep as well. And if just linking it back to maybe alcohol consumption, um, if, I, if I'm sort of correct, does alcohol prevent your ability to get into that sort of REM sleep? Yeah, the idea of a nightcap um, is, a, <laughs> uh, is, is a completely false. Um, alcohol does make us drowsy. So it, it leads to a, 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 a drowsy state but in terms of the quality of sleep, going through those cycles, thoroughly through them, and are getting to the point where our brain is truly refreshed, that's impaired by taking alcohol before you sleep. So um, it also impacts our uh, the brain sleep, the REM sleep, is where our, our learning is consolidated. So if you're studying, drinking before you go to sleep, it's going to impair the ability to remember that information. So the um, the, the yeah, alcohol is it, not say you shouldn't drink alcohol, but if you're struggling to sleep then using alcohol to aid sleep is, is actually having the opposite effect so a few sober nights and a few other techniques lifestyle techniques will probably help to reach a point where um, sleep is improved um, without the alcohol okay brilliant stuff dan um, i think we've covered some really important and um, useful areas there i guess my last question is do you have any sort of tips that our listeners could use to improve their sleep at all yeah, absolutely. I think routine is really important. Just like um, when you're trying to get a toddler to go to sleep and, and uh, improve their, their nighttime sleep, then routine is important. Having that same bedtime, having a 
I think we might give a toddler a bath and a storeroom full bed. It's kind of similar for us in that um, if we have a bath, um, then that means that our core temperature um, actually can can cool down and we sleep better when, when our core temperature drops by a degree or two. So something like having a bath will mean that um, although the bath is hot, our body will then try to dissipate heat to the outside of the body. Our core will cool down and we'll be better prepared to sleep. Um, Additionally, with temperature, a cool room is really important because um, we feel heat more during the night. So if we're in a room that feels comfortable when we haven't got bed clothes on, uh, it's the 19, 20 degrees, that's going to feel very, very hot in the night. We might be woken up by being too hot. So about 17, 18 degrees is a better room temperature. Um, and having a routine the same bedtime, going to bed at the same time every night, seven nights a week is, uh, again, this might sound a bit patronizing, but it's, and it's not for everybody, but if you're having trouble with sleep, it can really make a difference. So I now do go to bed at pretty much the same time every night. I'm an early riser. That's my, my rhythm is to wake up early, but I'm pretty tired by nine, 10 o'clock. And so I go to bed then. Um, and if you know, I find reading personally before I go to bed really helps, but a lot of people find that. Certainly avoiding stimulants is key. So not just alcohol, but coffee later in the day will, coffee has a six hour half-life. So if you have two cups of coffee at 12 o'clock, by six o'clock, it's as though you've got one cup of coffee in your system. Um, and a lot of us will have more than one, one or two cups a day. So if they're in the morning, they've got more chance of not having an impact in the afternoon and, and certainly in the evening. Um, but other stimulants, and I think one of the greatest threats to us at the moment is the stimulant of what's on our screens um, to some degree the screen itself the blue lights a factor but if we're watching the news or checking a facebook feed or worse doing work emails we're then putting our brain back into the daytime high sense um, level of alertness and that will very likely have a problem in our sleep because as we go through the cycles and we start to consolidate the memories that are built up during the day some of those more um, concerning things will come to front of mind now that's fine if we stay asleep, but if we if they wake us up, they're spinning around. And I think we've all had that racing mind syndrome that we get, you know, the early hours of the morning. Um, and that's my, my understanding is that's what's keeping a lot of people awake at night. And during lockdown, apparently 50% of people claim they were sleeping less well. Um, so that's pretty much something to do with the fact that we're, we're using rooms in different ways. So the use of the bedroom is quite important. It should be a haven where we really just sleep, especially the bed itself. So working in bed, eating in bed, um, is, is means that we associate our our bed with with more than just sleep. Um, and if, that may sound like well, we're intelligent people, we, we'd have the sense to manage that. But if I was to um, show you a film now of a, a beautiful piece of um, food being cooked and prepared, the chances are your mouth would water because we do. Uh, our brain does associate things that are unrelated directly to us with our, our body and that's exactly what happens with the way we use our bedroom so if we use our bedroom for exercise or for work we lose that association with being a haven so it's very very important if we can to have a, a haven so if people are working from their bedrooms now as many of us are having to then just make sure there's some separation put everything in a box at night shut the lid of the box at a reasonable hour six seven o'clock something like that or earlier um, and then work goes in the box and you open it up the next day so there's uh, some sort of physical disconnection with work and sleep uh, monitoring light exposure is important. If we're in, surrounded by bright lights, that can disrupt our sleep. So having a dim environment really helps just to encourage melatonin to be produced, which is possibly why people are feeling more tired in the winter months than they do in the summer months. If people in the um, up in Alaska and uh, North Norway, where it's 24-hour daylight, they claim it's very, very hard to sleep in the summer because there's so much daylight, very hard in winter, because darkness produces melatonin, which is our natural hormone, our natural sleep aid. 
Um, during the day, it's good to get some exercise outside to use daylight to to keep us awake and to sort of give a clear indication of day and night. But during the evening, better to, to embrace the, the darker time and, uh, and use that to help. Um, it's good to um, aim to wake without an alarm as well. Uh, if you're having to use an alarm every day and if it's hard to switch your alarm off, uh, and to use the alarm to wake up, then the chances are not getting quite enough sleep. Uh, and it may be that it's just interrupting that final sleep cycle. And of the five sleep cycles we might have in a night, four or five most of us have those 90-minute cycles, the last one has the greatest chunk of REM sleep in it, so the greatest brain rejuvenation. So that's when we get it where our brain's being prepared to be more creative, more decisive, uh, more intuitive, all of those things we rely on our brain to be in our work. Uh, if we interrupt REM sleep, we don't get good REM sleep, we're less agile in that space so uh waking up naturally at the end of that fifth, fifth cycle having had a good chunk of REM sleep is going to be much better for us than interrupting it 15 to 30 minutes early with an alarm so a great goal if you want to really sleep at a high level is to not wake up with an alarm just wake up naturally absolutely well dan i think we've covered some real fantastic topics there i'm sure lots of it's going to resonate with our viewers um, and listeners and readers all around the world so thank you very much for joining us on the hsc network podcast and we look forward to welcoming you back soon many thanks